um, we've been going through life through Psalms, and we started with birth, and we've done things like ambition and um, uh, other things, and we're going to end with semi-depressing topics, the two topics. Um, today is life's unanswered questions, um, and next week will be death. Um, so that'll be the end of the Life Through Psalms, and we'll start a series on the basics of the Christian faith um, the, um, well, um, the, the, in the following weeks. But as we do that, let's pray that God will open our ears. Lord, we thank you so much for the Bible. We thank you that it is the Word of God that speaks to us. And we thank you so much for the timeless message that is there. And we pray that the, 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 the words of the Bible and the truth of the Bible will speak to each one of us um, today. In Jesus' name, amen. On January 15, 2009, I don't know if you remember this, an American airline craft um, uh, took off from LaGuardia Airport. And six minutes into the flight, the windscreen quickly turned brown and several loud thuds uh, were heard. And Captain Sullenberger, better known by his nickname Sully, um, took control over the plane while Skills, um, his co-pilot, started pacing through the three-page emergency um, uh, procedure in an attempt to restart the engine. The plane had struck several geese, and the engine had stopped, and the passenger and the cabin crew later reported hearing, once again, these thuds, loud bangs in both of the engines, and seeing the exhaust in the wings of the plane in flames. And the plane became eerily quiet because the engine had stopped, and the smell of unburned fuel started seeping into the cabin. And although the LaGuardia officials um, stopped all planes from taking off and gave priority to this plane to land back in LaGuardia, it didn't have enough time to go back to LaGuardia. So the 57-year-old Captain Sully decided to do an emergency landing on the Hudson River. See, pilots go through all sorts of training. Flying in perfect condition is relatively easy, but the reason why the best of the, the, these pilots fly these big commercial airlines is because they're trained for these unfortunate circumstances. When you have 150 people on the plane, when there's no runway available to you, when the plane is losing altitude fast, and you have to glide down to, uh, to the river without, uh, without the engines on, of course, you probably have seen this footage of the plane that landed on the Hudson River, and the incident became known as the miracle of Hudson, and New York Post called it one of the, uh, the most successful ditching, uh, ditching in aviation history. Sometimes fly, geese will fly into your plane, and things happen in life. All sorts of things in, happen in life. Unexpected disasters happen. Losing loved ones. Betrayal that was unforeseen, car accident that could change your life in an instant, losing jobs or sudden economic turns, they will happen and we will go through these storms. And the difference between surviving them or crashing into the, uh, crashing into the ground is the training that's involved, whether you are prepared for these situations. And what we remember 
as we go through these storms is very, very important. And Psalm 13 is about this. It's, it's from a person who is at the bottom, who is going through a disaster. And it tells us to remember three things in these situations. So, three things. Number one, remember to expect storms. In the days of trouble, the first thing to remember is that troubles is part of life. Captain Sully trained many years for that moment, didn't he? I mean, how many of us go, go into the plane thinking, this day some geese will run into the plane and we might have to, we, 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 we might have to prepare um, to, to, for an emergency landing? We don't expect that, but Captain Sully did. He was trained for that disaster, and that's why he was able to remain calm and land on the Hudson River safely. There will be days of unexpected trouble in our lives as well, and we have to be ready. I'm sure there are many storms you have already gone through, and if you're fortunate enough to not have gone through them already, you will go through them. Life is long, and life is difficult, and you will go through them. I've told you about my cousin who committed suicide. That was my storm. I had to, I had to go through that. For some in Colorado, it would be James Holmes who just killed many people. These things happen. It doesn't even have to be personal. I had a friend who in 2004, when he saw the tsunami hit, an Indonesian tsunami, he went into a depression. In 2010, 200,000 people died in Haitian earthquake, and 2 million people became homeless. When my previous church did a survey on what would be one question that they would ask God if, God if they knew that God would answer that question, all the top questions were about suffering. Why? Some people, for some people, it's an intellectual question, isn't it? It's a, why, if God is really omni, all these things, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnibenevolent, and is loving, is omniscient, knows everything, omnipresent, is everywhere, why can't God prevent these disasters? Why do the sufferings like this happen? But for many of you, this isn't, uh, this isn't a, a theoretical question that you're asking. It's a very personal question. You are going through these difficulties yourself. Why does my brother have to suffer like this? Why do I have to go through these things right now in this way? I just remember the, uh, the one survey that I had um, somebody fill out. It just, he just wrote, why? Why? And it's a simple question that rings, uh, that rings a chord with us, that resonates in us, because um, we have all asked these questions ourselves. And we know nothing about the context of this psalm, Psalm 13. But the question that he asked is in the same family. It's a similar question. It is, how long? How long? This question is asked four times in the first two verses. How long? How long? How long? And how long? It's as if he's restless. And he cannot stand but ask the questions again and again. How long? And it's all the more poignant I think because he knows at the end of the day, this question can't be answered. It's an un, uh, unanswerable question. Expect storms. Expect difficulties. Life is not systematic. It's not formulaic. And if you think that you have figured out life, if you have need answers to every question that comes your way, 
At some point, your understanding, your system will crumble. It will be torn down. If you think, for example, that you think good people don't suffer, well, you're going to come to a time when, when, when you see good people suffer. Well, if you think that God will punish the wicked and award the good, and that is a nice system that you have worked out that makes sense out of life, this life, you will at some point be disappointed. If you believe that every single thing that happens in your life happens for a reason, and that's fair enough, but if you can get to, if you can understand that reason, if you think you have access to that reason, at some point in your life you will come to a, a situation where you think you cannot find the reason for this happening in your life now. You will ask why. And you will come to a point of asking how long. The truth is, philosophy, no philosophy, no system, can make sense out of all of life. Life is bigger than us. It's bigger than our our minds. And unfortunately, I think this is a very, very unfortunate thing. I don't know why God does this. But unfortunately, when these moments come, when we feel like we need God the most, he might seem absent at those moments. We hear it from the psalmist's voice in verse 1, don't we? He asks, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He feels that he's been forgotten by God. He feels that God is absent in this moment. How long will you hide your face from me? His prayers As he prays, he feels like it's falling on deaf ears, that it's going nowhere, it's just ringing. It's going to no one. When the English writer C.S. Lewis um, lost his wife, and and, and it's uh, um, C.S. Lewis uh, started courting his wife, um, and and soon after he found out that his wife was uh, diagnosed, she she was diagnosed uh, diagnosed with uh, uh, cancer. And throughout the courtship, she, she died, and he wrote a, a little reflection of this experience, and this is what he, what he wrote about, about his experience. He said, meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you, you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claim upon you will be an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. What he says is, when you are happy and when you turn to God, you'll be opened, uh, you, you'll be welcomed with open arms. You'll know that God is right there with you. But, he goes on to say, but go to him when your need is desperate. When all other help is vain, what do you find? A door slammed in your face. A sound of bolting and double bolting from inside, from the inside, and after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The, lo- the longer you wait, more emphatic the silence will become. It's the same question, isn't it? How long will you forget me forever? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? You're left with no answers, but only questions that rings in your mind. And often we ask, we ask these questions because our sense of justice, 
What, what is right and wrong has been offended. It's been challenged. What we think is right hasn't been done. It's not happening. So at the end of verse 2, he asked this question, How long will my enemy triumph over me? Enemies who have not honored God are, are triumphing over him. The wife, this person who he seems to, he, he loved, person who was good, is dying with cancer. My cousin, who was a Christian, was 16 years old, promising, had a wonderful smile, committing suicide. What is right doesn't seem to be happening in this world. And on some level, we understand. We understand that justice cannot happen immediately. That in some sense, there has to be some delay in justice because we're endowed with freedom. God has given us freedom. God has allowed, God has to allow some degree of injustice to happen because every time, it, it's just not right for every time when you do something wrong, it'll be fixed instantly by God. We won't have any freedom, no sense of freedom there. So we understand that some degree of injustice has to happen in this world. But what about evil that seems overwhelming, intolerable? The kind of evil that makes you doubt that God is a just God. And this is actually exactly the, uh, what some of the Holocaust victims felt. And this is Eli, Eli Wiesel, a Holocaust survivor uh, who wrote about his experience in Auschwitz and, and, and Buchenwald. Um, he, he, wrote, he wrote this, I did not deny God's existence, but I doubted God's, God's absolute justice. I did not, I did not deny God's existence, but I doubted God's absolute justice. How long will my enemies triumph over me? That's the psalmist question, isn't it? We often hear the complaint when we go through these situations. It's not fair. This isn't right. It's not fair. Such a question of justice, even not in scale of Holocaust, it fills our lives. It's not fair. And the psalmist isn't saying, I did something wrong here. There, there is no tinge of remorse, repentance. He knows that he hasn't done anything wrong, at least in this instance. Yet his enemies are triumphing over him. It just doesn't make sense. And as, as depressing as that might sound, that is the first point. Life is filled with these questions and these situations. So expect them. Expect storms. Expect life to be on some level like this. Don't be surprised by them. Know that this is a part of life as God has designed. But before we move on to the next point... I would love for all of you to notice the obvious point that Psalm 13 is the part of the Bible, is a part of the Bible. And Psalm 13 uh, and, and many other psalms of lament and protest are in the Bible. What's so amazing about the Bible is that it's not God doesn't only allow you to protest, but he gives you words to protest them with. John Calvin, um, he wrote in his preface to, uh, to his commentaries to Psalm, pointed out that God gives you words of praise in the Psalms. It's true. God gives you words of praise. So you can praise God with these perfect words, these in- inspired, inspired words. 
But this is that, that's true of the praise, but it's also true of the lament as well. God has given you words to protest God with. That when we go through these storms, God gives you. When, we, when you lose words to say to God, God has given you words to protest with. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And that is the second point. Remember that these are God-given words. So remember to protest. It's okay to protest because protesting is also a kind of affirmation, kind of things that we affirm about God. First, um, these uh, protest elements affirm our relationship with God. Once again, God is omni, all these things, omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent, omnipresent. God is all good. But as we stand in front of God, we're not lost. We're not lost in God's goodness. I mean, we are lost in God's goodness in some sense, but we are also given individual. We are individuals. We're given individuality. We're not robots just made to praise God. God is praiseworthy. It's true. And God, uh, we will praise God for all things when we know all the things, uh, all of God's mind um, in the future. When we see God face to face, we will praise God even for the things that we don't understand today. That's true. But for the moment, when we don't see everything when God has allowed us, when we, when we don't see everything, God has still allowed us to protest against him. And God thinks that we're important enough to hear from in this way. You see, this psalm, by being in the Bible, affirms the two-way covenantal relationship with the Almighty God. We can cry out to him. And you see in verse 3, how defiant the psalmist seems. The words are defiant. Look on me and answer, O Lord, all my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And did you notice all the eyes and me in this psalm? Eyes and me. These words occur 18 times in this psalm. We're not reduced to nothing in God's greatness. This God who created the universe still affirms our being, affirms our existence, affirms our feelings. He has created us for such a relationship. That's one of the reasons why we protest, because God affirms who we are. And many times, our speaking to God, even in this relationship, um, even at this time, will bring us close, um, close to him. Once again, the Eli, um, uh, the same Eli Wiesel who 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 who, uh, who wrote that he doubted God's justice, um, wrote this as well. I have not lost faith in God. I have moments of anger and protest, and sometimes I've become closer to Him for that reason. You know how deadly sil- silent treatments can be in a relationship. When there's something goes wrong in your relationship. And, and, and you, don't, you just stop talking to one another. That's not the kind of relationship that God wants you to be in. 
God wants us to, God, God wants to hear from us, even if it's in, it's a prayer spoken in anger. And when we voiced our concerns to God, then we become aware of Him and we can rest in Him. So the first reason, another reason why we're given these words of protest is the words of protest affirm God, something about God, His characters as well. Um, think about that. We wouldn't appeal for love um, to a person who we know is hateful through and through. We wouldn't appeal for deliverance from those who have no power to deliver. We wouldn't appeal for mercy to those who we think are just cruel through and through. In our protest, what we're saying about God is, God, you are just, you are merciful, that you are powerful. You are mighty, and we are affirming these characteristics as we protest. A while ago, I ran across an interview with two girls, um, 13, age 13 and 14, who had been raped in Afghanistan. They had been, um, they were crying in this TV camera, in front of this TV camera, and they, um, they, they had to move to a different town, and they had this, um, uh, uh, they were hiding, and they were saying, and in the, in, they were saying, we lost all honor. We could not live in our hometown anymore. And they were pleading on TV to Karzai, uh, the president of Afghanistan. They cried, aren't we your citizens? Aren't we human? And they were crying out to Karzai because they thought Karzai could do something about this situation. Because he had the power to deploy police and whoever to capture these perpetrators and bring justice to them. Similarly, when we wrestle with God for justice and love, what we're saying is, God, you have the power to do this. That you are loving and merciful and powerful. It's making an assertion about who God is. So we cry out to him. And finally, we cry out because we're given hope to carry on as we protest. That we are aware of God's presence as we protest. Uh, C.S. Lewis, once again, uh, wrote at the end of this reflection... Grief Observed. It's a, it's a booklet um, um, that he wrote. Um, he wrote this, When I lay these questions before God, I get no answer, but a rather special sort of no answer. It's not the locked door. It's more like a silent, silent. It, it, it is more like a silent, certainly not an unco- uncompassionate gaze, as though he shook his head, not in refusal, but waving the question like, Peace, child. You don't understand. It's a compassionate gaze that says, Peace, child, you don't understand. And um, life is bigger than all of us. And as, I, as I've said um, in the beginning, you will not understand everything that will happen in your life. But as we protest, we encounter God who is just, compassionate, and good. And that's what happens and this, to the psalmist as well. You see how he started with a protest, but he ends with an affirmation and praise in verse 5. He started that verse with but. But. It's a big but. So he says he will trust 
in God's unfailing love, his heart will rejoice in God's salvation. I don't know if you've experienced this. Um, I love praying because I feel most close to God when I pray. When I close my eyes and I voice whatever is in my heart and in my mind to God, and I feel that I'm alone with God when I pray. And as we pray, even about the suffering that is happening in our lives, things that we don't understand, we come to know God at that moment. And that is what has happened to the psalmist. As he prayed, he's transformed. He has come to see God once again, and he can say, I can trust you. I can trust you. And finally, the thing to remember as we go through these storms, remember the past goodness, the past salvation. Um, the psalmist remembered his steadfast love, uh, salvation of the past, and the, the goodness um, with which God has dealt uh, with him in the past. He doesn't have all the answers to he doesn't have the answer to the question is why or how long, but he remembers the past. He remembers how he was saved in the past. So he can, he, he can say, I can trust and rejoice in verse 5. Um, when David talks about salvation here, he probably means just the way that God has spared him from his enemies in the past. But for all of us, the people of the New Testament, that salvation takes a much deeper meaning, doesn't it? It's salvation that Christ has won for us. Salvation um, that that Christ um, uh, paid the price to win for us. But we're forgetful people, and we'll continue to forget this great blessing that we have received all throughout our lives. Uh, once again, my, my boss in the uh, previous church, um, the vicar of that church, uh, he said that he, you know, uh, he was going through a really, really difficult time a couple of months ago, and he walked into his, uh, his office just dour. His face showed that he had a rough week. It's not just a rough week, actually. He had a rough month. Um, he was going through troubles in the, in, 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 in the church, difficult pastoral situations. Not only that, just one of the staffing things that, that, that he was trying to um, uh, replace, it just wasn't happening. And he was going through a rough time. And his secretary asked him, you know, how are you doing? And he said, well, I'm doing okay. And he's, <laughs> gently she said, well, your face doesn't said um and and then she then said it it it, 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 it something like it it, it 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 um makes you uh look like that you don't have salvation that the salvation is lost you know I, it's one of these things um that i think well is that helpful <laughs> um but it's one of these things that we take for granted and then we will forget for the rest of our lives. When we're having a bad day at work, when you're flying through these storms in your life, 
Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember the goodness of Christ. Remember how Jesus was mocked and flogged. Remember how he was scorned. And remember how he carried the cross to the Calvary. Remember how he died on the cross, shedding that blood for you and for me. Remember how he has been good to us. Remember, uh, even when we were his enemies, remember his promises. Remember how faithful he has been to his promises and how none of his promises uh, will, not, uh, uh, will not be fulfilled, that he will fulfill every one of these, these promises. It's not easy, I know, to remember these things. To remember the storm and to protest them and to uh, remember the past. I know it's, it, it's hard, but remember these things because as you remember these things, you won't crash. And I say this because I know people who have lost their faith flying through these storms. And I, I, just, I just wish and I, I pray that none of you, as you fly through life storms, the difficulties in your life, that as you remember these things, as you remember to cry out to God, but most importantly, that you remember that God has been good to you, he's been trustworthy and loving, that he's given us this salvation, that you will come to still praise God, even in those moments. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation, and I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Amen.